0: You're listening to the Today's Conveyancer podcast, the leading source of information for residential property lawyers in England and Wales. Don't forget to subscribe and sign up to our free newsletter at todaysconveyancer.co.uk. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.
1: Hello and welcome to the latest Today's Conveyancer podcast. Uh, today I'm talking to Mike Ward. Mike is Executive Chairman of Armalytics. And Mike, we're going to talk a little bit about who Armalytics are and what you do in a second. But the topic of the podcast today is very relevant to conveyances because we're talking about ROE, which is not Return on Equity. It's a <laughs> Register of Overseas Entities. Uh, and we're going to be talking a little bit today about current anti-money laundering regime a little bit, you know, and sort of the work that's being done and and how ROEs fit into that, but also very specifically about what ROEs are and and how they impact the conveyancing market. But I'll start with a very short introduction, please, to yourself and, and your relatively new into the conveyancing market, having had a career in banking. Armalytics is a data intelligence firm. And what we do is we use
0: open banking and another bunch of data to help property firms complete faster and more efficient source of funds checks. That's the headline. In practice, what that is, is a digital journey which collects all the information you might need to allow these conveyancers to do um, a, a difficult task, i source of funds, quicker and better. In terms of my background, why am I qualified to do this? I guess in my life. I've been a 25-year banker. It wasn't all my fault, but um, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was a banker. And, um, and, and what we realized was a bank was there was a lot of information within a bank statement, which was very powerful, but it was very hard to use. And with the advent of open banking, myself and some others decided to create business, which could empower financial data to give you better financial insights. And with that, we thought we were qualified enough to do source of funds checks and, and around that there was a huge regulatory change under LSAG and maybe previous initiatives to, to really look more into the provenance of funds within property transactions.
1: So the UK is the money laundering capital of the world, I think, probably, uh, or London certainly is, depending on uh, whichever stat you read. And it's, it's a massive problem. I, I think the last one I read was £100 billion worth of illegal money comes through the UK every year. Yes. I mean, these numbers are quoted. There's vast
0: numbers around. There's sort of 1.4 trillion globally laundered um, as as per FATFA. So there's there's some big numbers knocking around in terms of money laundering. And London definitely does a
1: a reasonable proportion. It has a reasonable proportion of that running through the system. And the UK government has moved to create a whole infrastructure around dealing with money laundering. Where does this register of overseas entities fit into the the current structure?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So, so maybe we just a brief sort of history lesson, which is in the last 40 years, London, London's gone through this tremendous transformation. You know, it's this global capital of culture, arts as a hub for financial services, professional services. It's got iconic restaurants, hotels, all this stuff. It's an international place, and. Um, with that rising tide of, of, of investment, of interest, of internationalization, London's property market has, has ridden that wave. Um, it's grown tremendously. The value of properties is going and it's truly become an international market, which is sort of great in many ways. Yeah? You've got you've got high value properties. You've got a dynamic marketplace. You've got a diverse city. All of this great stuff going on. And, and to be fair, it's created tremendous wealth. Um, London today is 22% of GDP in the UK is produced from London and London has only 13% of the population. But what's happened is it's, it's developed a culture or developed the perfect environment, this Petri dish, which has allowed money laundering to breed. What you want in a money laundering asset is, is, is something which is, tends to be stable or go up in value. You want something which is international in nature, So you have buyers from all over the world. You want it to be desirable. Um, And I think Prime London became sort of rather like a a sort of a masterpiece of artwork. You know, people came in, they bought the things, the top 1% had it. What came with that was you got bad actors, you got bad money in it. Um, and, And that's where we are today. And I think, if I'm honest, I think the people in authority almost took it as a sort of a necessary evil to get all the good stuff. People didn't necessarily bless it, but they sort of think, well, it comes to the territory. And I think what's happened now is we're beginning to see um, a sea change in people's attitude. And one of the most common ways for you to buy a property in the UK or anywhere in the world, actually, is to have an entity where people can't see through to the beneficial owners. And, And that London was rife with and is rife with these structures where it's an opaque difficult to determine who actually is the
1: beneficiary and that's a perfect place for bad actors to hide so if that's the context around the 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 background and you know uh, the conveyances that are listening are are, are probably screaming because beneficial ownership is 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 a huge challenge to them alone yeah suddenly we've got this register of overseas entities What, what does what does that mean how does that really impact the day job for a conveyancer
0: so they're using a tried and tested formula they did in the, in, the, in the banking world, which is they're creating a place where you have to register and hit hurdles to be um, recognized as a, a legitimate player. So these um, overseas entities can be anywhere in the world, typically, and they've always been hard to do, you find a beneficial only. So what is happening today is they have created a registrar where these overseas entities have to register um, that process starts on the first of August, and with that, if you don't register with Companies House, and I'll come on to the hurdles to registration, you will not be able to register change of interest at the HMM, HM Land Registry. So, in practice, what that would mean is if you haven't got a ROE code as one of these entities, you won't be able to buy and sell properties because you won't be able to change ownership on the land registry, and there's there a bunch of other complications which come through it, but in essence, that is the big stick. If you don't get one of these codes, you won't be able to register a change of ownership, which means you will neither be able to buy or sell properties, and that's a big deal. It, does it happen just from today? No, it isn't, it's retrospective. So in the UK, if, you've, um, if you're have if you one of these overseas entity and you transacted in a property at any time from the, from the 1st of January, 1999, you'll have to get one of these um, registrations. So fine, what do you do to get one of these registrations and what are the onus is, is, well, in order to get this registration, you have to, there's a bunch of complicated rules of beneficiaries, etc. But, but the essence of it, what you have to, you have to disclose who has the beneficial interest behind these opaque entities. If you don't satisfy that, you don't get a code. And if you don't get a code, you can neither buy or sell property in the UK
1: it sounds as though this is sort of quite a big step in the right direction for the UK sort of money laundering regime. Uh, what if you're quite happy with your current situation and you're not looking to buy and sell? Is, is there anything that's being done to crack down on money laundering there? This legislation
0: comes through relatively quickly. So it was stuck gridlocked for years, I think since 2018 in Parliament, this Economic, um, economic Crime Act, and then post-Ukraine invasion, it sped up and it suddenly it was passed. So there is some, there's quite a lot of gaps in terms of technical implementation. So there's still a number of questions. It's BEIS and the Land Registry are going to come out with some guidance very shortly. Um, the Law Society has got some very useful notes. So if you, if, if you are interested, in finding out, more, well, the Law Society is every day producing more information. But in terms of what has to be done, even if you're not buying and selling property, you need to register your overseas entity and the fines are quite big. So it's two and a half thousand pounds a day if you haven't registered or for and up to five years in prison. And also um, that is effective from January. So given the some lead time to get this registered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not necessarily that you do this. And then when you're buying or selling property, you should be doing this. If you're an overseas entity who has property interests in the UK. Now should be getting on with it now now to get registered there's three parties involved there is the beneficiary owner there is whatever corporate structure and there's your agent who will do the um, verification of you and that's a third party and that's a new thing who can be an agent broadly on a broad level it's anyone who's been Um, who is subject to the money laundering, terrorist financing and transfer of funds regulations of 2017. In essence, it means, are you a financial institution, are you an accountant, are you a lawyer? You could even be an estate agent and register one of the agents. And these third party agents verify and and ratify the information given by the overseas party. They can then say, right, I've seen enough. I've got all the evidence and apply to Companies House to get one of these codes. If a company's house says, yes, you've done enough, you get a code.
1: So is it likely that conveyances and law firms are going to be approached by their investment partners to become agents on their behalf to verify their beneficial owners? The Law Society had just come out with some interesting guidance on
0: the 25th of, of July, and they broadly encouraged property lawyers not to become agents. And the reason being, they said, was... It is very different from the LSAG guidance. The onus is going to be much higher in terms of validating these overseas entities than what is done within the LSAG framework around customer due diligence, the risk-based system. So they have cautioned property firms from registering as agents. The interesting thing, David, is that there's a bit of ball passing on. I, I, I read on the ACAEW that they're also saying, don't rush into being one of these agents. and uh, so one does ask the question is who is gonna
1: rush to become one of these third party agents to do a very difficult job it's very in keeping with the money laundering regime actually isn't it because government is actually very hands-off in the sense that they the liability is always passed down the line you think about ID verification, the liability lies with every organization. And although there's work being done to kind of create a single identity verification service, actually it still lies with the lender, with the agent, with the conveyancer, with the IFA. It does strike me as though PI companies are probably rolling their eyes at this pr- prospect that not only are they going to have to manage the risk of the, the conveyance, but actually, if a property firm becomes an agent, they're going to have to manage that risk, which has surely got a much higher premium. I would imagine so. So I
0: think firms, property firms, will think very hard before becoming one of these third-party agents. I mean, even in the legislation, it talks about state agents being able to be one of these agents. So we will it'll yet to be seen who's going to be bringing itself forward. Clearly, the international law firms. Who have expertise in this space will put themselves forward. I'm sure of that. And I'm sure the large accounting firms too. I think the days of me walking down to my local high street um, family law firm and asking them to register my Cayman Islands overseas entity may not be anytime soon, and probably for good reason. I think the other interesting thing, which which may not have been sort of fully understood, is, is the risks it provides to commanders, even if they're not acting for the overseas uh, entity. So Um, And the Law Society has done a good job in pointing out in one of their guidance notes. If your buyer or your seller, let's say um, actually your seller is an overseas entity, you need to put stipulations within the contracts now to make sure that this is all subject to them getting one of these overseas entity um, registration codes. And then if you were to fail and you were to receive it, the Law Society points out that you could be as the receiving criminal funds, which in itself is a criminal Uh, first, so it, it's interesting, a whole swathe of complexity is always happens with these things. And and so probably, in my opinion, what will happen is people will do very little of this type of business until it becomes clearer as to what you should be doing, which means anyone who owns in, um, property via one of these overseas entities will probably find it trickier to get anything done, even, I think, if they successfully got one of these codes for the short term. So um. Yet to be seen. I think, as you quickly spotted, it's it's it it feels to me quite an effective tool of slowing things down and and making these overseas entities have to jump through some fairly severe hoops. And it should do some good in terms of um,
1: as a deterrent to bad actors hiding behind overseas entities. So a lot of the today's conveyance so readership, Mike is residential, yeah. and they might be listening to this thinking, well, hang on this is this is a commercial issue surely because we're talking about big sort of blocks of buildings that uh, russian oligarchs have have invested in but actually this is as much a residential issue as it is a commercial issue
0: that's right um so since 2010 foreign ownership of residential properties has tripled so so it's now over one percent of all uk residential properties in the uk are owned by non-uk citizens and i think quite commonly they'll hire they'll be using oes overseas entities to do this so i think the idea that it's constrained as commercial is 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 not true and it's not necessarily true that it's confined to london as well so what we've seen over the past 10 years is yes london remains a big hub for international buyers no doubt but actually it's been moving up to manchester leeds liverpool etc and i think as i mentioned before if if you're acting if you, you don't have to be acting for an overseas entity to find the impact of this. If, if your seller or buyer is an overseas entity and you're acting for the other party, you are going to be impacted by this new legislation. So I think yes, everyone will be keenly looking at the details which should be announced from BEIS and, and HM, HM Land Registry, um, but I think that there, is, that there will be very few people who will be unaffected by this far as i can see and everyone should certainly be aware of it and everyone should be mindful of that in terms of the contracts and how they're preparing for either residential or commercial transactions because if it is an oe or even a chain where it's an oe even you know it could impact the whole whole piece
1: in the course of the discussion you've identified a number of different resources that are being prepared to provide some guidance around this. Yeah, um, we'll put the links in the write-up. But can you just talk us through who's currently preparing guidance and where we can where we can find out more about this?
0: So, so the best thing is that UK Gov has got a, a, a actually pretty comprehensive description of what it is, who's going to be impacted, etc. Um, how you become registered as an agent if you want to, and I think we've discussed that one needs to think carefully before doing it. But um, there's a comprehensive uh, guide from the UK Gov. The Law Society is 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 feeding out guidance as we speak. So we've had two notes from them already, um, and um, pretty comprehensive. But I think everyone's waiting on the technical guidance from HM Her Majesty's Land Registry, Companies House as to how to actually register, what information do they need in these verifications of the OEs and the BEIS. So I think it will emerge. And that's why they have led some sort of lead time. So for example, 5th of September, if you're working on a transaction, although it goes live from the 1st of August, you sort of got a, some time to adjust on transactions which are already live. So you won't have to use the code until the 5th of September. And actually full compliance is not till beginning of January. So I think it's fully admitted by... By all parties, that there is still technical details which are missing, Um, but they will be coming out as soon as possible. And and I I fully expect to see a a rush of um, information over the next few weeks. This isn't going to fix the issue completely. It's it's not a one sort of fixed problem, this is. But I think what you're seeing is this sort of noose tightening. You know, we had the new LSAD guidance, we've got, you know, CDD in general. So we've got ID verification, Peps and sanctions have all come in the last few years. We've had um, we've now got the Overseas Entities Register. There's talk of reforming companies' house. So there's been a big issue where you've got sort of these company factories. Um, I don't know if any of your your listeners sort of know Amy Bell, but she, she recommended a wonderful um, book called Moneyland. And it's talking about these sort of um, company factories sort of based above chip shops and other parts of the country where they're sort of just manufacturing UK companies. Broadly, they're used to... Um, to, uh, for illicit purposes, often, um, and so you know, I think those pieces have to come into place too. Um, but I think I think what you're seeing is we're starting to people take really seriously, and I think it'll be incremental wins over time to to really dent it. And you'll find that if you do this, you know, money launderers will be pushed to do more and more extraordinary things to manage their money,
1: pushed into more complex transactions, which present more risk of getting caught of course, Mike, if all the agents end up being crooks, then this is all going to fall apart, isn't it? Yeah, I, I
0: think we've yet to see more details of exactly the hurdles that an agent's going to have to cross to become um, approved to be able to you know, do the verification of these OEs. And I think, yeah, it, the single point of failure is if they let anyone do it, um, then the danger is everyone gets codes and Company's house. There's no way you're going to be able to check all this stuff. So I think there's got to be a fairly rigorous vetting process to be an agent, which I think is why the Law Society was 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 reasonably explicit to caution property firms from from just sort of thinking, oh, there you are. There's another source of revenue, and 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 actually think hard before they would to register as one.
1: I mean, spare a thought for the conveyancer because there are times when it does feel as though these regulations just continue to fall at their fall at their feet. And I rather hope on this occasion that it's it's absolutely something that they're not going to have to get involved in. That you know the agent is going to have verified it. That it, it's it's going to be a relatively smooth process because, as I say, otherwise you suspect that the professional indemnity insurers are going to have a field day.
0: I think gone are the days where people are just going to take every single card which comes at them. And, and I think you're going to have some firms who are very specialised who might say, look, I'm an expert on OEs, I understand what this area well, I'm a niche firm, but it's gonna cost you for me to convey for you. And then there'll be other many great firms who deal with the vast majority where it is what you see and it's very sensible. I think where it might come more challenging is where one is interacting with the other. So and you've got parties in a chain, some may be complex, some may be more simple. And and that's where we just don't know. But I would say any convenience who are listening are going, Crikey, is this another thing that I have to become an expert in OEs and and you know, understanding whether I register as an agent and all this, I would say, well, look, know your business, know the core clients you're after. And if your expertise doesn't lie in this space, nor does your ambition, then I would suggest stick to the knitting. There's plenty of great business to be won out there without you having
1: to go to these outer reaches of the exotic OEs, etc. And that's Probably a very sensible place to end, Mike. Uh, With some great advice, actually, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, this does feel as though it could become quite a specialist subject uh, for for conveyances. We've managed to get this out reasonably quickly on the basis that the Economic Crime Bill has been enacted very recently. The fact that the enforcement is coming very, very soon as well. So thank you very much indeed for all your insight. We'll link, as we suggested, to the guidance in the write-up. So if you have a look in the notes, you'll see that there's uh, some links to the guidance. But it's been brilliant to chat and really appreciate your insight onto the implications for conveyances. Thank you very much indeed for joining us, Mike. Thank you, David. The Today's conveyancer podcast is available on your preferred podcast provider. It's also available on today'sconveyancer.co.uk. Thank you very much indeed for listening and we'll see you again soon.
0: You're listening to the Today's Conveyancer podcast, the leading source of information for residential property lawyers in England and Wales. Don't forget to subscribe and sign up to our free newsletter at todaysconveyancer.co.uk. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.